Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Awesomes, February is the month of love, and we would love it if you'll join us in spreading your love of Sorta Awesome to the people in your life. From February 9th to February 23rd, when you share your love of Sorta Awesome on Facebook or Instagram, you'll be entered to win some very awesome prizes, including $100 Amazon gift cards and Kindle Paperwhites. You can find all of the details over at sortaawesomeshow.com slash love. Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello and welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can also find us over on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 132 of the show, and we want to give a great big hug and a happy Valentine's Day squeeze to all of our sort of awesome listener supporters. For the past few weeks, we have been showing the love to our supporters through a series of daily notes from me that we are calling the 21 Days of Awesome Affirmations. I created these daily affirmations for our supporters because I believe so strongly that in order to be excellent to others, which as a reminder, that's a big focus of our Year of the Awesome, we have to be excellent to ourselves as well. You guys, we are hearing such a great response from our supporters about these affirmations that they are really making a difference in how you see yourselves and how you see others too. Some of you are even listening along with your kids as well, and that makes me so happy. So to get access to all 21 days of our awesome affirmations, as well as all of the episodes we have released for our supporters ever, and to get access to our exclusive Facebook group that we created just for our supporters, you can go to sortaawesomeshow.com slash support for more details and to get signed up. That's sortaawesomeshow.com slash support. Okay, awesomes, I am so stoked about this episode. I'm just like vibrating with excitement over here <laughs> because we <laughs> are about to embark on a deep dive into one of my favorite topics on the planet, the Enneagram. We are circling back to a discussion that Kelly and I started way back at the beginning of the year in episode 127, 
Let's Get Fired Up. We talked about energy in that episode, and we kind of touched on energy and how it relates to the Enneagram and our Enneagram types and how it all fits together. Well, first of all, my lovely dear friend, who is also the big sister we all wish we had, Kelly Gordon, is back with me today. Hello, Kelly. Hello, big. Hi, awesomes. And we are also joined by one of our friends and Enneagram enthusiast and sort of awesome favorite, Lee Kramer. Hello, Lee. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Great to be back. I'm so glad to have you back. In fact, Lee, this is your third time to come on Sorta Awesome. You have set a new record for guest appearances on the show. So if you are listening right now, first of all, know that we are all in good hands with Lee. She knows what she's talking about. But if you're sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, oh, the Enneagram again, I don't get it. It's so confusing. Just listen, just hang with us because we're going to talk about some great research and understanding ourselves, some great ways to understand ourselves that can be so helpful, even if you don't get the Enneagram at all. So just hang with us. I promise we'll get there. We will get to our discussion of all things Enneagram and energy and self-discovery in just a few minutes. But first, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. It's that moment in the show where we share the books, the podcasts, Music, TV, movies, anything that is making our lives a little bit more awesome right now. Kelly, why don't you start us off? What do you have for us this week? I have food. Yay! <laughs> I have a recipe. recipe. Yay! I have a recipe. I have actually shared a picture of this at least once on Instagram, and people are always like, tell me how to make it. I want the actual recipe. So I am here today, Awesomes, to share with you one of my new favorite recipes for this winter season, and it is completely amazing, partly because it is made in a slow cooker. Now, at this moment in time that we're recording the show, I don't even watch This Is Us, but I'm on social media <laughs> and I realize that this may strike fear in the heart of many people. I'm I sorry, know. I can't use my crock pot and I don't have an Instapot, so I can't adapt this recipe. This is a dangerous recipe. <laughs> you're taking you right to the very edge today. Yes. If you're feeling risky, <laughs> Kelly has we're got the recipe risky. for you. <laughs> and Actually, a slow cooker chicken taco soup or chicken tortilla soup, I sometimes call it. It doesn't really, you know, I guess I call it chicken tortilla soup because if I have a Mexican themed soup, chips are going in it. So it is always going to be a tortilla soup to some degree. This is actually a recipe that was in Real Simple Magazine, which I know many awesomes love just this last fall. And it is, as most slow cooker recipes are, so easy and such a big bang for your buck. It actually even says on the recipe, hands-on time, 10 minutes. Nice. And then the cooking time is, you know, eight hours. So you could do this in the morning. And I'm going to read you real quick, like what's in it so that if you're listening to this and saying, well, tell me more about it. Obviously, we're not going to get into measurements and all the things like that. We'll link to all that in the show notes. But basically what you're doing is you're just putting in chicken broth and then chicken breasts, like just not even shredded, just whole raw chicken breast. Sorry, Meg. And then you're going to put in <laughs> black beans. And also it actually calls for two cans of black beans. So I'm really into pinto beans right now. So I do one can of black beans, one can of pinto beans, fire roasted tomatoes, corn, red bell pepper, onion, jalapeno. And then the only spices really are cumin and chili powder. Although there's a lot of those. And then, you know, black pepper and salt. So you put all of that in Near the end, after you've cooked it for eight hours on low, you can pull the chicken out or you don't even have to. You put two forks in there, find your chicken breasts and shred them right in the soup. Voila. Done. Served. Done and done. done. It is so easy and really it is so good and it's got so much good stuff in it 
it makes the whole house smell amazing. And of course you can put all the toppings on it. Like you would normally, you could put on more jalapenos, sour cream. My kids do cheese. I do chips, avocado. Hello. This soup was made for avocado (laughs) toppings. Definitely. Fresh lime juice. It's all so good. So comforting. One other little tip is if you don't have chicken breast, I've gotten into this thing. Costco sells like shredded chicken. So what they started to do, I've talked about on another show where they actually sell chicken, probably off of their rotisserie chickens, whatever doesn't sell, somebody at Costco goes and pulls all that meat off and then they sell it vacuum wrapped. So sometimes I'll make this soup and I'll just throw some chicken in at the end, you know, some already shredded chicken. So there's so many ways to do it. And really it's so yummy, so easy. It makes great leftovers. I've been putting it in my kids' thermos. It's really become my go-to soup this winter because it is so easy, so yummy, so nutritious. I feel good eating it. I feel good serving it. Slow cooker chicken taco soup. That sounds amazing. Listen, I have had to revisit my aversion to chicken. We are doing lots of good, nutritious whole foods here at the beginning of the year in our house. And that includes some lean proteins, including chicken. I've just like I've summoned the energy of the awesomes. Like everybody else on this planet can deal with raw chicken. I can too. I'm a big girl. So do hard things. I can do hard things, <laughs> including touch raw chicken and smell it. And I won't die. So thank you for that, Kelly. Definitely we'll have the recipe in the show notes for you awesomes. Lee, I can't wait to hear what your awesome of the week is. Well, you know, I'm a huge reader. So mm-hmm. I have been reading tons of great books. I could probably give you a list of 10, but I'm just going to go with two. Okay. Let's hear it. <laughs> so I'm a huge fan of Susanna Kersley. She writes these really great books that are rich with history. There's usually a present day storyline and a past storyline. And over this past weekend, I finished The Shadowy Horses, mm. which is just a present day storyline. But it centers around this archaeology dig where they're trying to see if this Roman army was actually in this field or not. No one believes that it's there except for this child who sees the sentinel who is like from the Roman army. Oh, wow. <laughs> the day. Yes. There's like a level of like this psychic ESP thing. Gotcha. As well as the actual science and what goes into an archaeology dig. And then there's like a little romance going on and Perfect. her books are just so magical and immersive and I don't ever want them to end. They're just wonderful a huge, huge fan of Susanna Kearsley. And then the other book is a romance by Alicia Rye. It's called Wrong to Need You. She, uh, I don't even know how to describe her writing. It's really emotionally rich. There is such surprising depth. This is actually the second book in a series. The first one is Hate to Want You. And I would actually say you should probably read them both in order. Okay. But in this one, she really gets into anxiety and shyness and grief. So there's like that layer of it in addition to this love story where this woman's husband has died and his brother comes back into town. She and he used to be best friends. And then he left town 10 years ago and just kind of like cut everyone off. And she has never known why. And he's this like really tall, strong man but he's like really shy. He's painfully shy and you would never expect it to look at him. He has tattoos. He's a chef, like total. Can I say badass? Like, you can totally <laughs> say badass. <laughs> and so it's about their relationship and like, is it wrong for them to have a relationship? I mean, they don't really want to have a relationship, but he's actually in love with her. She doesn't know that. 
it's really, really hard to put down. And you're just kind of wondering, like, what is actually going to happen between them? And what happened in his past that made him leave town? And, you know, it's just, it's great. So huge fan of Alicia Rye. It is a romance. So if people are not fans of reading sex scenes. It's got some spicy to it. So they may want to skip this one, but okay. it's wonderful. So it's Wrong to Need You is okay. the title. And what was the title of the first one? Hate to Want You. Okay. So we will link to all of Lee's recommendations in the show notes. If either of those kind of pique your interest, the first one sounds very interesting to me. You know, I love a blend of science and fantasy stuff. I love that stuff. So I'm thinking you will love her novels for sure. Okay. I think that needs to go on my to be read list. Hey, you guys also, if you're not already following Lee on Instagram, you totally need to. She's at Lee Kramer. Again, we'll link in the show notes. She constantly has great book recommendations for all taste level, all taste interests on her Instagram account. Really good reading Rex over there from Lee. So Lee, I'm so glad that you brought books. That's perfect. So <laughs> I would have been disappointed if she didn't bring I books. I know, I know, you do. <laughs> Me too. Okay, my house of the week is the Ceramic Pearl Professional Curling Wand from Remington. Here's the deal on this, okay? I got it at Ulta. It's a curling wand for your hair and you will maybe be a little surprised where I found this discovery. My daughter, Daisy, turned 13 last month and she had a little slumber party to celebrate. And one of her friends brought this curling wand to the slumber party to do hair because what else are you going to do when you're 13 at a slumber party? <laughs> well, hopefully that's what you're doing when you're 13 at a slumber party. There's I mean, probably some less savory options like, yes, let's curl hair. Yeah, well, let's just be real honest. There was some Snapchatting and there was some hair yeah. curling and there was some baking. We did all of the things. So... Her friend brought this curling wand to the party to do hair. It basically changed my daughter Daisy's life because Daisy, her entire life, bless her heart, she has beautiful, dark brown, just like a true brunette, dark brown hair, but it is straight as a board. Genetics have given her the gift that some women would love to have, and that's just completely straight hair. No matter what we have done in the past, we've used hot rollers, we've used curling irons, all kinds of things to try to get the child's hair to curl and stay curled. Because, it, you know, we'd curl it and then immediately would fall out as soon as she walked out the door. We've done hairspray. We've done all the things, you guys, all the things. So her friend brings this curling wand to the party. Her hair curls up perfectly with it. She sleeps on it, wakes up the next morning, still looks great. All the next day, curls stay in. And she's just like looking in the mirror like, I can't believe my hair is curly. She's like having an epiphany of her life. So the very next day, I went to Ulta and picked up one of these curling ones for her, ostensibly, but I've been using it on my own hair, you guys. And it's really amazing. The great thing that makes this curling wand like a magic wand for your hair is that it gets really hot. I learned from one of Jamie Golden's Instagram stories where basically I learned all of my beauty (laughs) tips and tricks these days. Mm -hmm. She actually featured her hairstylist on one of her Instagram stories. And her stylist said that what most people don't know about styling their hair themselves is that their tools at home just don't get hot enough. Well, this particular curling wand does get to the salon standard of 410 degrees. And so it really does curl your hair. The curls really do stay in. So whether you have wavy hair like mine or straight hair like my daughter's, if you just want to add some fun curls that I promise you are going to stay in, you want the Ceramic Pearl Professional Curling Wand from Remington. 
I got it at Ulta. I'm sure you can find it in lots of places. I'll definitely link to it in the show notes if that sounds interesting to you guys. So it's been a life okay, changer. It's interesting to me. I have to know the price point because I oh. have the exact same kind of yeah. hair. Like my hair eats curl. I have had yeah. people, it's like a challenge to them. They're like, we're going to put gel in. We're going to curl it. We're going to shellac it. We're going to use like Aquanet, yep. you know, we're going to yes. put a protective bubble and my hair goes, I don't think so. Right? That's how Daisy's <laughs> hair is. half an hour it is done yes because it just eats all those products and it cannot hold it so i need okay. this because i listen. want to do beachy waves and there's no way to do beachy waves listen to me 25 dollars <gasps> at ulta right whoa i know i was expecting you know some salon quality tools are like 60 dollars or more or more i've yeah. been looking at some from my stylist who was saying the same thing like for i think straight hair especially you really do have to have that high heat yes which does make me a little nervous because you well know. but yeah. at the same time I've been looking and it's like a hundred bucks. So yeah. you've just sold me. Yes. Hello, awesome of the week. Hello. Just like all the awesomes. We're all like, we're going to buy that. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, Ultas. Get and those old because out. we're going to buy them up. <laughs> well, also, you know, that's a good point. We also picked up some heat protectant for your hair. Ask your sales lady at Ulta, wherever you go, they will help you find some heat protectant because I also was like, if we're, we're going to do this a lot, especially for her hair, which is not, we never use tools on hardly. We did pick up some heat protectant. So definitely do that. Okay. You guys, every single Friday in our sort of awesome hangout group, we open up the floor to hear your awesomes of the week. If you haven't already joined our community there, you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash sort of awesome hangout. Hey, Awesomes, if you've ever listened to Sorta Awesome anytime at all ever, you know I am a big, big fan of omega-3 supplements, or as you may know them, fish oil. I am so excited about this week's sponsor, Omax 3 Ultra Pure Supplements, because trust me when I say these are the best omega-3 supplements that I have ever taken. And you guys, I have tried lots of omega-3 supplements. Here are some things that make Omax 3 different from any other product you'll find on your grocery store or pharmacy shelves. Omax 3 contains 94% pure omega-3 fatty acids. That is the highest concentration on the market today. And that 94% is three times higher than the concentration in most consumer brands. Now, you guys know I rely on omega-3s to help me with my anxiety and my overstimulation issues. Thank you, highly sensitive brain. But what you may not know is omega-3 fatty acids are also awesome for alleviating joint pain, muscle soreness. They boost your focus and your memory, and they help support cardiovascular health. Omax 3 also comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee, so you have plenty of time to try them and really feel the difference. So to check out these Omax 3 supplements, go to tryomax.com awesome today to get a box of Omax 3 Ultra Pure for free. That's tryomax.com awesome to get your free box of Omax 3. Try Omax.com slash awesome. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you to Omax3. Hey, awesomes. I think this is the time of year when we all need a little extra motivation and a healthy dose of inspiration to not get stuck in our same old boring meal plans. Thankfully, our sponsor, Sunbasket, does an amazing job of helping our family try new and delicious meals. Sunbasket is a meal kit delivery that is designed to fit how families eat today. 
What I love about opening up our Sunbasket deliveries is finding ingredients like organic produce, responsibly raised meats, sustainably sourced fish, organic pasture-raised eggs, and even organic non-GMO tofu. Their house-made sauces are so delicious and you cannot find them anywhere else. There's tons of variety with over 18 recipes to choose from every week. And best of all for busy families, each delicious and easy recipe can be ready in about 30 minutes. With Sunbasket, you have total flexibility. You can cancel anytime, skip anytime, and choose any meal plan you want. Go to sunbasket.com slash sorta today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash sorta for $35 off. Sunbasket.com slash sorta. Thank you, Sunbasket. Okay, awesome. As you all know, in the month of February, we are focusing in on how understanding ourselves helps us better understand and know how to communicate with the other people in our lives. So just as a reminder, we are focusing on the second part of the awesome manifesto this month. And that part of the manifesto says, we believe that everyone has an inner sparkle and that uncovering it within ourselves helps us become the kind of people that help others shine. So we are applying that to our lives by examining how we can know ourselves better, speak to ourselves in more healthy ways, and how that in turn helps us communicate with the people around us. And I believe in my core of my being, one of the best ways to understand ourselves is through the Enneagram. Now, you all may notice that the Enneagram is having a moment in pop culture right now. (laughs) (laughs) You might be hearing about it everywhere, but can I just remind you that Lee Kramer first came on this show in June of 2015, two and a half years ago, back in episode Hashtag 12. trendsetter. Right? Yes. <laughs> so that episode is called, oh, the Enneagram? It's awesome. Episode 12. She also did an episode of Extra Awesome in May of 2016 to answer you all's questions about the Enneagram. So if you are an Enneagram total beginner, a total novice and newbie, and you're looking for an overview of what we're even talking about when we talk about the Enneagram, or Lee's history with the Enneagram, all of those things. Go back and listen to those episodes. In fact, we will drop links to those specific episodes from Lee into the show notes just to make it super easy to find those because they are from a way back. But Lee, the point is you've been talking about the Enneagram and applying it to your life and relationships long before it got trendy. Remind us of how long you have been studying and researching and reading about the Enneagram. Since 2010. Yeah. (laughs) way before Enneagram started having this big explosive moment in 2018. Yes. It makes me feel very special that I knew about it early on. That's right. <laughs> and so just to remind everybody, you are an Enneagram 4 who sometimes... She just said something. Yeah, very I, was cool. say, like, I was laughing. I was like, should I say that? That's like such a poor thing to say. <laughs> yes, it's a very poor thing to say. We have the need to be special. So there you go. (laughs) There we go. I love it. Now, Kelly, I feel like we've kind of firmly settled on your Enneagram number. Is that right? (laughs) Yes, we have. Maybe. I am a seven. Yeah, I am a seven. I totally accept that. (laughs) I was joking with Lee the other day, like, she always says, no, you're a seven. I believe her. (laughs) (laughs) I just, there's a lot of things in the nine that I relate to. So that's why if you haven't listened to us talk about Enneagram before, awesome. That's why we're laughing about it. But yes, I'm a seven. 
Okay, well. And I would like to clarify that I'm not telling you that yeah. you're a seven. No, I have you're just, questions that yeah. reaffirm your seven. And that's what I said. I said she's just really good at reaffirming yes. who I really am. And I trust her. Definitely. She's very trustworthy when it comes to this. In fact, speaking of trustworthy, Lee did a really interesting, fascinating way to type people and their Enneagram types with me several. Gosh, it's been years ago now, Lee. Mm -hmm. She did the flashcard testing where there's a series of flashcards and you go through a process with somebody who knows what they're doing with these. When she typed me, I was an exact even split between seven and nine. And again, Lee kind of asked me some questions and talked me through and I have finally settled in now into firmly owning my nine identity in the Enneagram. I also have really recently discovered I'm a nine with a pretty strong one wing, which I don't think we're going to get into wings today. but I'm heavily influenced by some of the aspects of being a one. So we're going to be tossing these numbers around. Those of you who are familiar with the Enneagram will probably know what we're talking about. But, you know, Kelly and I are going to kind of be audience stand-ins in terms of like asking some questions to help those of you who are new to the Enneagram better understand what we're talking about. So we talked about briefly about the Enneagram in the context of energy last month that I knew that we wanted to have Lee come back and tell us some more about Enneagram, particularly how it works within the framework as we understand energy. We were talking about how important it is to understand our sort of like energy levels and what our capacity is for going out and doing things in the world and how to recover and restore energy. And I think that's so important for understanding ourselves. But I love that what Lee is going to talk about today is more about how people experience the energy that we are putting out into the world. I really can't wait to talk about that. But Lee, you and I were talking about some of this stuff and you brought up the research and one of the perspectives on understanding ourselves in general, kind of back from the 20th century from a psychoanalyst named Karen Hornet. So let's kind of start there because this is a part that even if you know nothing about the Enneagram, I think that what Lee's going to share about Karen Hornet's work will be really enlightening for all of us as we're thinking about how we relate to the world around us. So Lee, with Karen Hornet's work, what are the parts of it that really are some things that we can kind of grasp onto as we think about how we relate to the world we live in? So her theory, her main theory was about neurosis, actually. Okay. Maybe sounds like a little like, oh, (laughs) but she did a lot about self-realization and self-concepts. So really, it's her theory of self-concepts that we'll talk about today. Okay. And she didn't know about the Enneagram until maybe at the very end of her career. I'm not really sure how she found out about it. But other Enneagram practitioners studied her work and recognized that it actually paired well with the Enneagram. And so there are a few different interpretations of how the numbers actually fit within the self-concepts and the needs or stances that we have with the world. Okay. But I'm just going to go with the one that I think makes the most sense. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. (laughs) Because I'm in charge today. (laughs) That's right. Yes. You have the floor. (laughs) (laughs) So she has three distinct self-concepts. They are that I am bigger than the world. I must adjust to the world. And I am smaller than the world. Interesting. You can divvy up the nine types within those self-concepts. Okay. So what does that look like in terms of like how we are experiencing the world? Let's just start with I am bigger than the world. Kind of give us a little bit of framework for that understanding of the world. 
So the I am bigger than the world types are two, five, and eight. Okay. They are the power seekers who move against others seeking control. So that's the negative side of that self-concept. But when they're healthy, they actually empower others. Okay. So that's super interesting to me because you said fives feel like they're bigger than mm -hmm. the world. I'm married to a five, very strong, like textbook, classic five. I do not experience him as somebody who feels like he's bigger than the world. Although I can see how the like sort of knowledge wisdom component, like knowing all of the things about a thing is super important to him. So does that kind of tie yes. into how they would experience themselves as being bigger than the world? That's it. Exactly. Yes. Okay. The vibes need to be the expert, you know, really wanting to understand the world around them. That is how they can put themselves into that self-concept. This is kind of a negative connotation, but I feel like for both, I don't know twos as well, but for both eights and fives, there can be, and again, this is negative, but that kind of condescending, like, I know more than you. Mm. Like, you can't yes. speak into this, like, please, idiots, shut up. Yeah. Just let me take control. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, let's be I mean, again. So all of my eight and five <laughs> friends are like, hello, <laughs> we're better than that. I know you are. And I think that the beautiful thing of what you just said, Lee, is that instead of feeling like. You have to have the power and be over other people that when it's a healthy way, you can empower other people. You yes. can take that knowledge or whatever it is and pass it on and have those people around you grow because of what you have. So you're really pouring out. So let's just back up for a second. So eights are our challengers on the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. So I can totally, I know lots of eights. I love eights. I'm thankful we have eights in the world because they're like making things happen for sure. I can definitely see how an eight would feel like they are bigger than the world. And again, looking at in the context of knowledge is power, I can see how fives are investigator types would feel bigger than the world. Help me know how twos are helper types have that kind of self-concept working. So twos feel like they know better about what you should do than you do. Uh, so if you're having a problem, uh -huh, uh -huh. their advice is not so much advice as it is directives. <laughs> Okay. Huh. And because they may they're, they're insert caretakers, themselves right? into your problem. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, like I'm not asking you for help, but now here you have just given me a list of all of the things that I should do. I'm like, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> and actually, most of this is not helpful because this is your idea. Uh huh. Uh huh. But I need, not what I actually need. Okay. So that is super interesting. So these are the types two, five, and eight that experience themselves, or they have this self concept. It's not that they experience themselves this way. Something intrinsically within them helps them to, you know, kind of fuels their belief that they are bigger than the world in some aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's move into that second one. Was it I must adjust to the world? Yes. Okay, let's talk about those. So here we have three, six, and nine. Uh-huh. I had a feeling they I was going the... to identify <laughs> with this. <laughs> They're the approval seekers who move toward others seeking to belong to the world. Okay. When they're healthy, they're approving. So they're not looking for approval anymore. They can be approving of others. Okay. All right. So this is there is another great way of turning that thing around of saying this is the weakness, but it's almost like you're turning it out yeah. instead of internal. Yeah. And yeah. So the sort of like negative part of it would be that I mean, listen, as an approval seeking type, I understand fully the negative <laughs> that you're constantly seeking the <laughs> approval of others. So I get it. Yes. <laughs> okay. 
So again, I'll speak for nine, definitely nines as the peacemaker type. We definitely will do whatever, make whatever adjustments we have to make to make sure that feathers are not ruffled. We, in fact, sometimes feel like we can only be at peace when the people around us are at peace or are happy. Mm -hmm. So I can definitely see that adjustment mode. Let's talk a little bit about threes because I know and love some threes. I can see the approval seeking side. So threes are our achiever types. Definitely about, you know, achieving in life and don't mind the spotlight at all. I like getting in the spotlight and people noticing them <laughs> and those types of things. So I can definitely see the approval seeking. What is interesting to me is that they would feel like they need to adjust to the world around them. Yeah. So threes are really fascinating because I think we look at them and we're just amazed by what they can accomplish and what they can do. But because their identity is so rooted in what they do, they are always adjusting themselves to whoever is in front of them. Okay. How is this person going to see me as successful in achieving? Uh, okay. Okay. I get it. That totally makes sense. Definitely. Okay. Let's talk briefly about six, our loyalists. I know sixes can sometimes be a little bit more fear-driven, like kind of looking for worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. What's the worst that could happen here? So again, that kind of seems self-explanatory that they too would be looking at the world and like adjusting in terms of like a nine is going to adjust to make everyone happy. So maybe six are adjusting to make sure that the worst case scenario that they're thinking of doesn't happen. Does that ring true? That's part of it, but okay. they also don't trust their own judgment. So they're also oh. looking to other people to either tell them what to do or to tell them what is the right way to live. Okay. They really gravitate toward leaders, people that are going to take charge and be like, this is how you do it. Okay. Fascinating. All right. Let's move to this third self-concept, the idea that I am smaller than the world and how that connects to the Enneagram. So here we have one, four, and seven. Okay. We are the... I'm talking about me and Kelly, since mm -hmm. we have a four and seven representation. We're totally. the inspiration seekers who move away from others to pursue higher aspirations. When healthy, they inspire others. Okay. So Kelly, as a seven, tell me how this hits you. Because when I look at the sevens in my life, they are like fully living. They're usually enthusiastic and ebullient and just loving life. So it seems, it strikes me as a little bit odd that a seven would feel like I'm smaller than the world. How does that kind of hit you, especially with how Lee explained it? Well, Lee, talk a little bit more because you said when they're healthy, they are inspirational to other people. Mm -hmm. When they're unhealthy, explain that a little bit more so that I can see how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I, think I mean, which doesn't matter, really. <laughs> but just to be able to answer Meg's question, obviously, how I feel about it doesn't impact the truth. <laughs> I think this really connects back to the seven's need to avoid pain mm. of not wanting to focus on anything that would make them feel sad or bring out any kind of negative emotions. And so if there is someone in their life that has a painful circumstance going on, the seven, you know, not all sevens, but most sevens, their first reaction is going to be like, oh, I, I don't really want to deal with this. So I'm going to go back to my happy place, whatever's gonna make me happy. Here are the fun things I have going on. And I'm going to withdraw from this negativity. And also just, I think sevens like to be the life of the party, but they also create the party. So mm -hmm. they don't really need to have like, bring people along. I think they just kind of naturally do. 
Like okay. everyone just kind of wants to be around a seven, but they don't, they're not dependent on those other people. They're going to go do what they want. So it's kind of like taking that party somewhere else. If you're around somebody, because I totally understand what you're saying. If you're around somebody who's having a hard time or is negative, just saying, well, we're going to move the party over here. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. So in that sense, like, it's like, I'm still inspirational, but maybe not for you and I can't help you and you're bringing me down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> you're bumming me out. So I'll come back later. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> in a selfish sort of way. I love this idea of how, what is the weakness is of course the strength as well, because it's just about how you channel it and how you use it and what the motivation is. So I think that in that same way, you're saying if this is something that it's ones, fours and sevens, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. That are in this category. If they can be inspirational when they're healthy, that in their own ways, they take that kind of inspirational part of them and channel it differently if they're not healthy. So what does a four do then, Lee? Since you're a four, what does a four do when dealing with this sort of self-concept? Yeah, so fours feel like they're the black sheep of the world. We don't really feel like we belong. So we are going to create meaning for ourselves, really throw ourselves into our pursuits or just our own minds, <laughs> like our imagination and our dreams and like get lost in our melancholy. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I can totally see that in fours. My sister's a four, you know, Lee's a four. I have lots of four friends. I can see how when they're healthy as individualists, they may feel emboldened to create good or inspiring things that are really unique. And so bringing some bigness to the world, maybe through what they put out into the world, that's really unique and individual to them. I can see that totally as a four is in a healthy stage. I can see that for ones too, definitely, you know, ones are the reformers and ones deal so much with that critical spirit of that Mm -hmm. inner critic that is critical to themselves and to others. But one is the reformer type. And so again, when they're healthy, can be very inspirational and help bringing about like righting the wrongs of the world kind of thing. So I can definitely Mm -hmm. see that playing out in our type ones. And I also think the other piece of that is that they feel like they're the only ones that can do it. Mm. Like they know the best way to do it or the right way to do it. So they're just going to do it. And they have a harder time like sharing a piece of the pie and like letting like, okay, you go do this part of it. And I'm just going to sit back and I'm not going to say anything if you don't do it the way that I think you should. Because they can recognize that there is value in letting other people help and come alongside. Totally makes sense. Okay, well, let's switch gears a little bit. Because when I originally started talking to Lee about coming back and talking about energy, I was thinking maybe we could talk about and almost like categorize Okay, these are our low energy types. These are high energy. If you're this number, then you might experience this wave of energy. But the more she and I talked, the more I realized, oh, and you definitely informed this realization of like, it's not that simple, first of all, because all of us are in different places with if we're moving into, if we're in stressful times, if we're moving in stressful patterns, or if we're healthy and moving in healthy patterns, or if we're just kind of in a stasis moment, we're just average that is definitely going to play into our inward sense of energy. And so we kind of started tossing this around, you know, should we talk about how to manage our energy? Should we talk about like what to do about energy mispairings? Like if I'm really low energy, but I'm married to a high energy person, how does that work? But we realized that really, and Lee, you were really instrumental in 
kind of pulling back the lens and saying, let's just talk about like each type and how people experience the energy of that type. And once we have that foundation to work from, then each of us can kind of apply that to whatever circumstance, whether we're trying to understand ourselves better, if we're trying to understand our parents, our spouses, our coworkers, you know, whatever the situation is, if we have a kind of a grasp on how other people experience the energy of each Enneagram type, that's going to help us understand what's going on here better. And then in turn, better be able to interact with, communicate, and, you know, grow relationships in a variety of ways. So do you want to start at the top where Enneagram usually does with type one? <laughs> Actually, I think we should start in the heart center and start with type two. Okay, perfect. And Let's kind of start there. Move on from there. Let's do it. So I do want to say that I haven't found a lot of written information about the energy of the types, but there was some really great blog posts by Lynette Shepard at the Everyday Enneagram blog. Okay. And so people might find it helpful to go to those three posts and they're all, they're by the centers. Okay. So you can find your, just your specific type within the center that you're in. If you want to read more information about how this works. Okay. And definitely show notes, links for those. So sounds great. Thank you for pointing us in that direction. No okay. problem. All right. Heart center. So again, okay. So if you're new to the Enneagram, a general concept of the framework of the Enneagram is that there are three centers. Again, we're working with nine numbers that divides easily three types into three centers. We have the heart center, the mind center, and the gut center. Is that right? Or the head center. Okay. Mind head or, head. or mind. It okay. Head. That makes sense. Okay. Got it. Okay. Heart center. Let's go with twos. Okay. So twos have the need to be needed. Their core struggle is pride. So they are the helpers, which on the surface sounds really great. So I feel like with a lot of people's energy, there might be two sides of it. There might mm. be like a healthy side of it and there oh, might yeah. be like a more unhealthy side of it. Yeah. So hopefully totally a lot of sense. descriptions will get at, at both sides of it. So for those of us that are feeling the two's energy, it can be pretty intense when their focus is on you. Okay. They kind of seduce us with their attention and their compliments. It's like we're wrapped up in this warm, aggressive force field <laughs> coming from their heart. <laughs> That's the best description of being in relationship with the two I think I've ever heard. A warm, <laughs> aggressive force field. <laughs> it can feel really wonderful or it can feel really manipulative. Ah, interesting. Okay. And so again, a two who is not in a healthy place is going to respond to that internal motivation of needing to be needed by making sure that the person they're directing their attention to needs you. And it can feel really manipulative. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. But when they're healthy, they're coming alongside in a warm way. And like you said earlier, when we were kind of talking about how they see themselves as bigger than the world, like really coming in and being like, hey, maybe especially if you are like in a place where you're struggling and you really are legitimately not sure, they can be the person who comes in and says, I can see how this, you know, let's do these things to help you. Let's do these things to get you back on your feet kind mm -hmm. of person. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then whatever the two is saying when they're healthy, it's not based on their need to be needed. They're not trying to create any codependent relationships. They're really coming alongside because they care about the other person and they really want to do what's best for that person apart from like the two's own internal 
motivations or what they fear they don't have. Okay. Good. Good, good. Okay. So that's two, the helper type. Who else is in our heart center? So next we have three. So they have the need to achieve and their core struggle is deceit, which actually makes a lot of sense when you think about their energy, which is, it's kind of like this charismatic, active producing energy. It's really captivating, but it can also be smoke and mirrors because it's always changing. It's so dependent on the person in front of them and what they think that other person wants. They can be really inspiring, but also not necessarily solid. Like Mm. you don't know if you can depend on the three that's in front of you. Mm. So I think their energy makes us wonder like, you know, how do they do it all? Like, how are they so successful? I don't understand this. And they can't do it all, but they don't want us to know about that. That's why they're always figuring out how they can change who they are to win over the person in front of them. Okay. This is super interesting. I've never thought about threes in terms of like the negative or like the unhealthy side of their energy. Because again, most of the threes I know, guess what? I believe all of the things they're projecting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and wouldn't it be true too, Lee, that they want to project that? I mean, that fulfills their own self-image of themselves. And so they really like that accomplishment that I got all these things done. And so in that sense, they have kind of a double whammy. Like they want other people to believe it and they want to believe it about yes. themselves. Yes, for sure. But I think the harmful part of the three is because they're so tied into their identity as what they do, they don't always know who they actually are and what they actually feel about whatever's going on in their lives. So that's why we kind of experience it as this shifting energy, so dependent on their activity. Right. Right. Okay. That makes so much sense. I feel like I have a brand new understanding of threes, especially so three, six, and nines are in the same, like they are connected by arrows. Nines move towards three in times of health. And so I think about threes a lot, but I had never thought about that. I definitely can relate to that. Even though I'm not a three, it can be very troubling for me to not project a thing of like, don't worry, I got it all together. I'm doing it. I'm balancing it at all. Don't you worry about me. (laughs) So I can totally, totally relate to that in the three's energy. And I can see too how it would create a sort of instability in their energy. You never know if you're getting the real three or the three they want you to see. Yes. Yeah. So healthy threes are just like amazing, amazing people because they are still really great achievers, but their identity doesn't depend on that anymore. And so there's like this layer of authenticity. Yes. That is just like beautiful to see. Totally, totally. The three of us, Lee and Kelly and I have a very dear friend who's a three and having, you know, she's younger than us. I've seen her like kind of grow and mature in the past few years. I can totally see she has almost a self-forgetting nature about herself when she's really in Mm -hmm. her zone. She's happy to serve. She's is just the right amount of involved, but not overly involved in people's lives and just happy to be with people. And I can totally see that about a three who is in a healthy place. So it's really fantastic. Okay. Fours. Here we go. (laughs) You individualists. Let's talk about. It's a little hard to talk about. (laughs) I know. I'm like dreading when you get to nine, but let's, okay. We're on four individualists. Let's talk about how people experience the energy of the four. 
So it's really interesting, before I go into what the forest energy is, but it's interesting because I've been thinking about the energy levels and the types of energy of the types for several years now, but I had never really thought about concretely what the fours energy was. Ah. So I guess there's like a little bit of a blind spot there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't really want to think about that. It's not bad. None of these are like good or bad. It's just right. how it is. Yes, totally. Totally. So it's fine. It's fine. So the fours energy is dramatic or melancholic. Okay. There can be this Remind us of what four's inward motivation is. Again, yes, I know we talked about it briefly, but. So the four has the need to be special and our core struggle is envy or comparison. Okay. So there's this magnetic pull toward fours. Some people will say that even the four's energy seems special and mysterious. Yes, I can see that. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. <laughs> but the other piece of it, and this is where the dramatic part comes in, is that whatever the four is desiring as it is coming closer to being realized, whether that's like a dream or a relationship, romantic or friendship, whatever, they may discover that it's flawed. And so as they've been pulling this desire closer in, all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's flawed. This isn't really what I wanted. And they push it away. And it can be like this cycle of like dramatic push and pull and like changing their mind and be like, oh, now I pushed away when I want it again. Like I would say The other thing or way to explain this is like this notice me, don't notice me quality, Uh, which I really feel in myself very deeply. Yes. Oh my gosh. Kelly, how does that hit you as you think about fours? The friends and loved ones that I have in my life that are four, I really do see that. Doesn't it come, Lee, from a little bit of that seeking of the ideal? They're kind of idealists Mm -hmm. in some ways. They're that romantic type. So they really want something and they want it not just intellectually, but with like their whole being. But like you said, as it gets closer and those imperfections are there, I think if they're unhealthy, it's easy to just focus on that and then kind of spiral into, and that's how everything is. Nothing ever works. It's never going to be right. You know, so there is this, like they want to hope. And then when they do, they're crashed to the ground and it can be a vicious cycle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's fun. fun. She's like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Yay! if you're feeling that way awesome as you're listening and you're like well this is depressing like i'm out on a walk and i'm walking slower and slower <laughs> it doesn't have to be that way i think that that is a common first reaction to enneagram is like well this is negative but really it is saying you can turn that into something that is really strong so i would say even for fours if yeah. they can recognize that that could be a cycle that they tend toward they can say, okay, I'm going to face the fact that even though life isn't perfect, I can still work with this. And the fact that they do have this really beautiful, romanticized ideal of the world, that can be a beautiful thing. And they can bring that to the rest of us and say, it could be better. This is what it can be. And sharing that vision, it's very artistic, can really inspire so many of us. So if you're listening right now, <laughs> you're feeling yeah. down, don't do it. Well, and before we wrap up the heart center, I just I want to run this past you, Lee, because again, we're really focusing on knowing ourselves, but also being more compassionate to people we're in relationship with. So mm-hmm. if we're in relationship with a two and we start to feel like we're being manipulated by them, we can kind of unhook from like, I'm not going to be manipulated and kind of be like, okay, they're in a not great place. 
And so their energy is really moving into my life in some manipulative ways. And you can kind of almost take a more objective view on it and be like, okay, thank you for trying to help. I'm actually good. I appreciate your concern. And you don't have to feel like personally attacked by that warm, aggressive force field. (laughs) Same, you know, for three are achievers. If you're in relationship with them, you can kind of do a check and like even ask them, okay, I hear you saying that everything is okay, but just know you can be real with me. I will accept you. And I am so thankful you're in my life. No matter what, you can totally be authentic. And maybe for fours, our individualists, when we start to, you know, sense that their energy is maybe a little up and down, we might show up in their lives as being like a really solid factor for them. That even though they may feel like their energy is kind of up and down, that we're there for them in a very steady way. Does that hit right? Or am I off base on any of that? Yeah. And I would say for the four, especially when you can be that stable presence and to show them that it doesn't matter like how special or unspecial they are, that you love them for who they are, like that speaks volumes. Okay, good. Okay. Let's move on to the mind group, the mind center. These are going to be our five, six, and sevens. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the head head center is all around fear, Mm -hmm. just to kind of keep that in mind. So five have the need to perceive or understand the world around them. And their core struggle is greed, not so much for like possessions, but for knowledge and privacy. So they're like nodding my head (laughs) off of my neck, being married to a five. Yes, that is the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Their energy is detached or more cerebral. I had a hard time coming up with how to make this a more concrete concept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But one example that I read was that you could think of the five's energy as a castle with the drawbridge pulled up. Ah, that is so true. And they decide when the drawbridge is lowered. Yes. (laughs) So they're in their heads and that's where their energy is going to stay. You may see the wheels turning in their minds, Uh uh, but you can't access them. Oh my gosh. I literally just got chills because that is one of the most clarifying things I've ever heard about five. And I've been married to one for almost 20 years. So I totally get that. And so again, let's talk about fives in a healthy place though, because we can kind of see that as being kind of negative, that they're withholding, that they're, you know, hanging on tight to all of their resources, whether it's privacy or knowledge or whatever, Mm -hmm. but fives in a healthy place, how do we experience that energy? When they're in a healthy place and they're not feeling threatened by the world. So what happens Mm -hmm. is that they start to feel like they either don't understand the world or they feel threatened by the world. And so they're going to like withdraw into their minds. Um, But when they're healthy, they understand that they don't have to retreat, that they can stay present to their loved ones. Mm -hmm. They can actually share their knowledge and their insights. They don't need to go like retreat into their minds. Totally. I'm thinking of our friend Nish Wyseth, who's a type five, who has extensive knowledge about a lot of things and watching her in healthy places, you know, write really powerful columns for national magazines and start a nationally recognized podcast discussing politics and religion. I mean, that is a really forward and outfacing energy in Mm -hmm. a five. So even though we can kind of think of fives as being really, you know, being a little bit more greedy of their energy, it does seem like when they're in a healthy place that they are very willing to move that energy of their knowledge and they're just their presence further Mm -hmm. out into the world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And we all benefit hugely from that. Definitely. So Lee, that was fives. Let's talk about sixes, our loyalist types and how we might experience their energy. 
So they have the need to be secure or to feel secure. And their core struggle is fear or worry. And they have the two sides. So there's counterphobic six and there's phobic six. And people are sometimes one side or the other, but most people kind of go kind of in between. And so you may experience their energy in two different ways. Wait, let's talk about what do you mean when you say phobic and counterphobic? So phobic six is like really, really centered like in that fear. Like they are always trying to figure out what is going to go wrong and imagining the worst case scenario and just wanting to stay safe. Whereas the counterphobic six, it's still motivated by fear, but they are taking action against that fear and like kind of like lashing out against it. Mm-hmm. A counterphobic six, sometimes you may mistake them for an eight. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I can see that because it seems like a counterphobic six is going to be like almost running toward their fear and like mm-hmm. with their like swords out kind of thing. Yeah. And I yeah. can see how that energy would feel very eight, but with a different motivation is how yeah. you might know the difference. Okay. So good. Okay. So let's talk about six energy. Okay, so the counterphobic six energy is like a jabbing confrontation. So they take action. They're very reactionary. The energy itself feels like you're being jabbed. Okay. (laughs) It's It's pushing outward. It's very outward, yes. Okay. So they push and they withdraw. So the best example I saw is that you can imagine a prize fighter circling their opponent, and they're kind of like jabbing out, jab. Okay, let's talk about what that looks like in health, though. I'm having a hard time thinking about um, how being jabbed <laughs> could be healthy. Although, wait, you know what? I actually, okay, let me run this past you and see if this is accurate because mm-hmm. I know a few sixes. So again, kind of going back to the idea that they're jabbing at their fear, they're always conscious of what could go wrong. Maybe in a healthy place, they are the people that help you think through like, have you looked at all aspects of this? What if this happens? Do you have a plan B? Kind of like that kind of energy of you're obviously not thinking about the bad part of this and that's fine, but I'm going to help you by pointing out. Have you thought about contingency plans? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would say sixes in general are really great about that. And a healthy six is going to be not so much rooted in whether they're phobic or counterphobic. Okay. They are just becoming a healthy six. Okay. Yes, they are able to help us like look at the future and figure out how we can stay safe. But they're also not as mired down by that. Like they can okay. be more present, like actually in the present moment and appreciating the good things that are around them. And they can just feel secure in that. Like they're okay. They're going to be okay. And that really makes sense when you think about that type is called the loyalist, because mm-hmm. it does seem like a healthy six is just going to be like really steady and really loyal to you and kind of like in their energy is just like really maybe even being supportive in yes. relationship mm-hmm. and somebody that you can really count on mm-hmm. as a steady presence there. So interesting. Yes. So yeah. can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. So if I'm understanding yeah. correctly, if we're talking about the energy of whether they're counterphobic or phobic, so one is maybe more outward and one is more mm-hmm. inward, like the phobic is like, I'm going to keep myself safe versus saying, if I'm counterphobic, I'm going to go out into the world and defeat that thing that makes me feel scared. But a lot of their energy is just tied up in that fear, in responding yeah. to that fear. So mm-hmm. they're fear driven, fear motivated so much of their life. In fact, I was just looking something online recently where a six was saying, which so many types do this, right? 
I'm continually worried about everything in life. I'm always thinking about the worst case scenario. I thought everybody did that. You know, like yes. we all think that everybody lives their life. And they're like, so now mm -hmm. I'm thinking if that's not how everybody lives their life, like, am I in an unhealthy place? Like, how can I know if my fear, like I've always thought I'm smart. I protect myself. I have backup plans. I have mace. I lock my doors every time I get out. I would never buy a magazine from somebody in a parking lot. And now I think, oh, am I being like fear motivated? And so if I'm understanding mm -hmm. correctly, if you're in a healthy place, you know better how to balance that fear. Like one of your gifts is that you are thinking of those plan Bs and those things, but you're not mm -hmm. having to be like so It's not reactive. controlling you. Yeah, right. is, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. a safe thing to say? Yes, yeah. Okay, so then you do have the energy. If so much of your energy isn't being tied up in responding to the fear, you can just be and you're prepared, but you're not having to respond to it all the time. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about energy with the phobic six. So phobic six is scanning the environment for dangers. You can kind of see like their eyes are always outward, like shifting back and forth, like literally scanning the horizon for what might be coming. And their energy is really about being ready to take flight. So they are ready to run away from the danger and they're also trying to prepare to avoid it. Gotcha. Gotcha. That energy coming out in relationship, what might that feel like if we're talking about that with a phobic six? I feel like when a phobic six is like really locked into their fear, you may be talking to them and it will feel like they're ready to run away. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Not necessarily from you. Like right. you may not be bringing that out in them, but because they're so worried about something, like yes. it's like you can tell like that they're not fully present. They're thinking about whatever it is that's like frustrating them or concerning them and uh -huh. they want to take some kind of plan to protect themselves that but you can really see it in their eyes like whether they're phobic or counterphobic i feel like you can really tell the six's energy in their eyes because they are not necessarily like looking at you because they are in their heads wheel spinning about whatever their fear okay. is and like are they going to lash out at it like a counterphobic six or are they going to run away from it like about phobic six this makes so much sense. Somebody that I thought was another number, now I'm like, oh no, I actually think there's six. I get it. That is very, very, very helpful. Okay, let's keep moving through the head center with sevens, our enthusiast. Kelly, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Let's bring it. <laughs> so sevens have the need to avoid pain and their core struggle is gluttony. So the energy of the seven is joyful excitement. Yes. They tend to have a twinkle in their eye. They're always coming up with the next fun idea. Their excitement can be really contagious, but it can also be exhausting because they're always moving from one thing to the next. And if you try to like give a seven a, some sort of limitation, you can watch their energy drain out of them. Ooh, Kelly, how does that hit you? Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. And in fact, it's interesting because hopefully I've gotten healthier as I've gotten older. But one of the things that people used to say to me, you know, friends, their frustration was that, like, I never seem to settle on anything. And so, especially if they're a different type, I think sevens can go with other sevens and be like, yeah, this is the way life should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But if they're a different type, that's very frustrating to them. Like, who are you? Where are you settling? I'm confused by you. You seem very flighty and not loyal and maybe even deceptive because it could be interpreted that way. Like you're trying to be one thing with one person and another with another when really the seven is just kind of 
like floating around doing whatever they feel is right at the moment. So yeah, and really that whole limitations thing, I feel like I'm in a stage of life where I don't have as many limits on me as you do when you're younger. Mm-hmm. And so as I've been walking through high school again with my daughter who's in high school and she's a different type than I am, but she's so frustrated and trying to put myself back into those shoes of remembering what it was like to have everybody else control your every moment. You know, and that's what she's frustrated by is, you know, you have to take this class and you have to be here at this time and you have to sit here for the whole hour, even if you did your work in 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, you're right. Oh, that was horrible. It was awful. <laughs> I hated it. And even this semester as I teach my college class again, I remember college that way too, you know, being frustrated by the constraints that were always put on me. And so, of course, then I take that and I kind of teach my class that way. I'm maybe a little too open with the class. Like, if you don't want to be here today, (laughs) then don't be here. I feel bad for you guys. You have a lot of work. Because I remember how draining that was for me to have all those things that other people put on me and said, you have to do this. You can't do that. I wish more of my professors had been sevens. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been great. And sevens are awesome to be friends with because they are definitely going to be thinking of the next fun thing to do. So I think that's, again, as we are finishing up the head center, looking at each of these types and thinking about how we, in relationship, in just knowing them, can really embrace who they are. So we know when a five is really withdrawing super hard to not take it so personally. Listen, that is like the story of our marriage. I'm sure Kyle would tell his side of the story too. But truly to know that that withdrawing is indicative of some stress that's going on. And I don't have to take it personally. Same with sixes that I don't, you know, have to take it personally that they're always kind of maybe feels like they're poking holes in my plans and like, oh, but this could happen. And you're like, just go with it. (laughs) But then sixes are really, you know, if they are consistently doing that, that may indicate stress. But even if they're healthily saying like, have you thought about this thing that could happen to receive that energy as being like, I'm trying to help you here to look at all the aspects of what you're planning. Mm -hmm. And with your Mm -hmm. sevens to, again, recognize that they're not trying to exhaust you. They're not trying to (laughs) sign you up for everything and invite you to every party that they just love life and they're inviting you into their love for life and to really embrace that and accept it for what it is. So, so I have a question because I think there's a lot of people who would say sevens don't seem like they fit in the head triad oh, here in the mind because fives obviously very cerebral. That mm-hmm. seems to make sense. Even sixes mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. fear and how to respond to it. So yeah, why is seven in this grouping? <laughs> So, so that's a really great question. Sevens are driven by fear, but they kind of forgot that they're afraid, if, if that makes sense. Interesting. So they're motivated by fear, but it's about trying to forget the things that make them sad or angry or whatever kind of negative emotion. So that is where that drive for fun and life experience and travel and adventure and just possibility in general, that's where it's all stemming from trying to avoid their fear or pain, whatever. Pain. Yeah. I remember Mm -hmm. when you and I were talking through Lee, if I was a seven or nine, you said, now sevens are really driven by avoiding pain. And I was like, yes, me too. And then you were like, but nine's really just avoid. It's just avoidance. (laughs) So much avoidance. (laughs) (laughs) So nines really are avoiding everything to some degree. They're they're trying to avoid to so they can stay stable. And sevens just Mm -hmm. want to avoid pain. They want to overindulge in everything else. 
Yes. We can talk more about yeah. nines when we get there, but definitely right, right. avoiding even good things is something I struggle with right. for sure. Right. Yeah. Okay. Someone's want that high of life. Um, yeah. Good. So good. they don't want okay. anything that's going to interfere with that. Let's move right along as we begin to wind things down, talking about the Enneagram. Let's move into the third or the gut center here. We have eights, nines, and ones. This energy stretch is like the whole spectrum between eight, nine, and one. So (laughs) let's dig in. So the gut center is all about anger. And if we move into type eight, it seems pretty obvious. They are like the obvious Yep, they're obviously internalized energy of of (laughs) anger. (laughs) This is a challenger type as a reminder. Type 8 is our challenger on the Enneagram. So, okay. They have have the need to be against. Their core struggle is lust. Not necessarily like like the sexual lust, but it's a lust for life or intensity. Really want that intense experience. And their energy is really aggressive um, and larger than life. They have like a really big presence. Probably like the most big presence of all nine types. So they really fill up a room. You don't have to wonder where an eight stands. You always know. <laughs> it's, true. It's, it's pretty evident. They're just going to push forward with their agenda. We might feel energized by their energy, or we might feel really intimidated. And so an eight really wants to know where you stand. Are you energized by them, or are you intimidated by them? And so they're going to kind of push against you. They like pushing buttons. They like playing devil's advocate, because they really want to see how people are going to respond to them, if they're up to the challenge. Are they a threat? Because eight is going to crush you if they think that you're a threat. <laughs> That's where that intimidation comes from. But they also want to know, like, are you a friend or a foe? Are you worthy? I love that. Eight's energy. Again, I'm a nine, so I'm like right next to them. I feel like I have very little eight energy, but I admire because they do. They know exactly where they stand on everything. And I Mm -hmm. think that they can be so much fun. And it's some of the most powerful people who are making some of the biggest changes, like socially that I know, or within corporation, within corporate culture, like when an aid is in a healthy place, they can literally change everything because they are tireless in the pursuit of what they have. I feel like that anger drives them. Like, again, if they see that a wrong that needs to be righted. They're tireless in righting that wrong and can do Mm -hmm. such powerful advocacy work and just all kinds of things because they just seem to almost have like a bottomless well of anger, but it feels like it could be a righteous anger if they're in a healthy place. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Eight's in a not great place. (laughs) Can they be, I don't know, Lee, do you feel like they could be a little destructive with their energy? Yes. Yeah, because they don't, they really, I mean, we could say that they're the honey badgers. They just, <laughs> they're like the godfather of they the Enneagram. Don't care. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I will come in and take you out. Yes, you know? exactly. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One other point about the eight too is I feel like I've noticed this, especially with my friends who are eights. I look at them and I'm like, do you ever sleep? Because it's not just that they <gasps> yes. have big energy. They have a ton of energy because of that yes. need for intensity. Like they fit so much into their days it like they just tell me what they did in one day and i'm exhausted hearing about it. like yes. i don't know how they function but they do right and i think this is why it's so great to understand because me as a person who just i <laughs> struggle to get everything done i can look at an eight and be like man i am failing i am losing at everything because i'm trying to match myself to somebody and it's like total like why would i try to match to an eight we're right. not even 
close to having the same level of energy to work with. Right. So I think that is such a great point. I'm so glad you said that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not even always healthy for them to function at that level. Like mm. they're not prioritizing self-care. They're not letting themselves recharge necessarily because it's always going to like the next intense experience. You really can't function at a high level yeah. by doing that. Got it. Got it. All right. Type nines, peacemakers, tell me about us. Yes. Nines have the, <laughs> the need to avoid and their core struggle is sloth or laziness. Like it's an internal laziness. So I don't want everyone to like think that nines are just like laying about doing nothing. Well, they may have times where that happens, <laughs> but it's really that need for inner peace and not wanting anything to disturb their balance. Okay, let's talk about nines and energy. I'm totally not objective at this at all. So you tell me, Lee, how do you think we experience the energy of nines? Nines have this really diluted energy in comparison to the rest of us. They kind of passively sense their environment. They're taking in the energy and the cues from their surroundings or from other people. So their energy and their attention can extend over a really large area, which kind of makes most of us wonder like, what does the nine actually want? Who is this nine? They kind of are just going along with the flow. We don't really know, like, is that what they actually want? Because they're not reacting or is it because they're shifting depending on who they're with? Yes and yes. Okay. So it could be both. (laughs) I can see how the energy would be really confusing. And I can say as a nine myself, the energy thing sometimes causes frustration for me because not only am I a nine, I'm also an extrovert. So engaging and connecting with people is really a high driver, high energy activity for me. But I get frustrated with myself because I notice I will recede in conversation Mm -hmm. sometimes, especially if I feel like and sense that the person I'm talking to has a bigger energy than I do. I will very naturally recede. I want to have that connection, but I'll get quiet especially in small talk situations or in new friendship situations, I sometimes have to really exert myself to show back up to the conversation, Mm -hmm. which I feel like if there's anything nines know that we have to do all the time, it's exert ourselves because that laziness, that sloth, again, it's not that we don't do things. It's that we find it really easy to just check out and just be like, I'm receding back and I'm just going to let you, you be the person, Mm -hmm. you do the talking you and, can tell when you are talking to a nine that has kind of retreated in their mind. Like you, you're talking and all of a sudden you're yeah. like, I, I feel like they're not actually there anymore. Where'd you go? <laughs> like, and it's different <laughs> yeah. from the five where yeah. you're like, you know that they're in their heads. Like nines are just kind of like in yeah. their happy place. And yeah, I can't access that. <laughs> I don't know where that is. I don't know what that looks like. Right. The drawbridge not- changes all the time, like where it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, there was a drawbridge. No, there's nothing. Right. They're like, yep, moved it over that? here. Ha ha. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, that's very, very interesting. The dispersal of energy. I totally get that. And for some reason, it just really feels true in social context. But I'll tell you too, nines all struggle, I think, with understanding like priorities and what to do next, like what's urgent, what needs to be done, because everything feels urgent to us at all Mm. times. And I think that that is indicative of the way our energy just kind of disperses. I can look around and see, okay, I could look at my to-do list. In my passion planner every week, there's a to-do list for personal life and work life. And you're supposed to list like most urgent to least, you know, just like errands to run or whatever. 
ladies, I haven't filled in those to-do lists since the year started because I get overwhelmed just looking at everything and like, I don't know what's urgent. It's all urgent. I have to do it. Well, you're still getting stuff done. That's all interesting. Thing. Sometimes I think it's just those outer parameters. Like they take so much energy to try to figure yeah. out what's most urgent. You're like, I'll just do something. Yeah. I'll just keep doing it until it's all done, but I don't even know what's critical. Don't know. Just doing stuff. Okay. Anything else on type nine before we move on to our ones? I think we've covered it. Okay. So ones, our reformer type, the last type we're talking about, also in the gut center. Let's talk about ones and their energy. So ones have the need to be perfect. And so on the surface, it may seem like anger doesn't fit in that because anger is not a perfect emotion. And so a lot of ones would say that they are not angry people. So their core struggle is actually resentment, how their anger shows up. Mm, mm, Their energy mm. is like this rigid containment. They're tense, like they're barely holding everything together. There's like this sense that if, if like they did blow, if they were to express their anger, I would be like blowing a gasket. It would be scary. Okay. So there's like almost, yeah, Mm -hmm. almost like a restrained energy. Is that kind of what you're saying Mm -hmm. with a one? Okay. Mm -hmm. Like they're just trying to put their life together. Like they're trying to do everything that's right mm. and perfect. I mean, it's their own internal guidance. Like they're the ones that are deciding like what's right or wrong or mm. how, how mm-hmm. to be perfect, what that looks like, which is different from every one that's a one. <laughs> but I feel like they do whatever it is that is driving them to be perfect. It causes them to hold it inside and you can see it. It's hard to describe. <laughs> Once you know right. what to look for with the one, it's just so obvious. Like they're just, yeah. it's like you're kind of watching them like shake like a volcano about to erupt. Okay. So let's talk about ones in a healthy place in their energy, because I almost wonder if it's like sixes who are in a healthy place who have sort of unhooked from their fear. I wonder if a one who is in a healthy place, who's unhooked from the inner critic and unhooked from the drive for perfection has a slightly different energy, especially in the context of relationship. They can be really pragmatic. Mm -hmm. It's not just about like, here's my right way. They're willing to bring other people into it and like allow people to help or to do things so that they don't have to hold it all together. Like they're not in it alone anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, nines and ones pair together a lot. It seems like to me. I'm saying that completely anecdotally. I have no research Mm -hmm. to back that up. (laughs) But I see a lot of nines and ones in marriage and a lot of nines and ones in friendship relationships. Laura, our former co-host, who's been a friend of mine since high school, and I know her well and she knows me well, I feel like a good example of this pairing because nines, I think, sometimes can look to, maybe in slightly codependent ways, but hopefully everyone's healthy Mm -hmm. and can look to a one and a one will speak into their life and be like, it seems to me like it would be best if you did this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. In a not really, you know, ones will sometimes really self-identify as bossy, mm-hmm. but it's actually like, they just have, like you said, they're very pragmatic. They can really clarify mm-hmm. a situation mm-hmm. pretty quickly and kind of help you figure out, like nines need help. Somebody to tell them, do this, this, and this. And the flip side of that dynamic is that for ones that do have a lot of that inner criticism going on, nines can kind of be a buffer mm-hmm. for that and kind of help them feel a little bit more chilled out, like it's going to be okay. Now, nines obviously can convince ourselves everything's <laughs> going to be okay all the time. Don't worry about it. But we can kind of buffer some of that and offer almost like a soft place to their hard edges mm-hmm. because we are so accepting and we can maybe help tone that down 
a little bit for them. Help them to know that even if they don't show up perfectly, that we're still embracing them and, you know, we still... Yes, which is one of the biggest things that you can do for one is to show them that like they don't have to be perfect in order to be loved. Like they are loved as they are. Right. And I think that that would probably reflect back to you in some ways for an eight Mm -hmm. to show them that even though you show up as a really big personality, like I'm experiencing you in all of your fullness and all of your glory Mm -hmm. in a matter of speaking. And again, to not get offended by their bigness, to just, you know, kind of appreciate this awesome way that yes. they've been made. Yeah. So. And if you are experiencing conflict with an eight, they actually want you to confront them. Ah, That's how they feel loved. Interesting. Like, I mean, you're, like, you don't do it like like yelling at them, but, but you can right, say right, like, right. hey, when you said that, that really hurt my feelings. And they'll be like, oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. They want and then they engage. don't, then they'll move on. That. What was that? I said they want you to engage. Like they're engaging, they are always engaging with the world. So if you don't engage, that would seem to them to be hurtful. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. They'll think you don't care. Oh my goodness, you guys, we have covered so much ground today. Lee, do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up? (laughs) I feel like we said it all. We didn't say it all, but this is really fun to talk through. It's been something that I've thought about a lot and I feel like I kind of have understood it intuitively, but to have to actually speak about it has been really helpful and clarifying for Mm -hmm. me. So I hope we'll get a lot out of it too. Well, this has been very helpful and clarifying for me and I'm sure for (laughs) Kelly too. (laughs) Lee, I know you have lots of writing on your blog at Mm leekramer.com where people can go. If somebody were going to go out and pick up like a book that's sort of a beginner's guide, they're like, oh my gosh, I need to understand this more. So many of these things are making sense. I know you have one or two books that you usually point mm-hmm. people to remind us of what those would be. I feel like The Road Back to You is one of the most readable books about the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. It's very narrative. Yeah. You could read it in a day. Really helpful. To totally. Un- easy to understand. If someone is not a Christian, I don't think that it's so overtly Christian that they'll be put off by it. Mm -hmm. But if they don't want to go down that road, then the Enneagram Made Easy is also a really great starting place. I mean, it is a very easy and simple book. (laughs) It's a good starting point for sure. Then once you know a little bit more, then my go-to book is The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Riso and Hudson. But don't start there. That's too much. (laughs) Don't start there. It's too advanced. That's next level Enneagram understanding. Okay. Lee, thank you for taking the time, so much time to talk through all of this. So we can find you. LeeKramer.com is your blog. Also, you are at Lee Kramer on Instagram. Do you do Twitter at all these days? Yeah, at Hopefully on Twitter. At Hopefully. Totally, we'll put all of that in the show notes. Kelly, remind people where we can find you all around the web. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kelly at Lovewell and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Lovewell blog. Okay. And I am at Sorta Awesome Meg on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget the show is also on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. You can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks, you guys, so much for listening. This has been such a good conversation. I cannot wait for the follow-up discussions on this one. Thank you all for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. 
Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.